You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Well, hello everyone. Thank you again for joining with us online. It's truly an, an odd and yet unique experience to have church this way. But it's an experience which reminds us that the word of God cannot be stopped. That the word of God, which brings truth and life to those who hear and receive it, will go forth. That, that it'll continue and remain, regardless of the circumstance. And, and in the same vein, quite often because of the circumstance. 1 Peter 1.5, quoting Isaiah 40, tells us that the word of the Lord stands forever. Nothing can stop it or remove it. But as we'll learn this morning from Jesus through the parable of the sower from Luke 8, we still need to have ears to hear in order to be changed by it. So on that end and with ears to hear, please turn with me now to Luke 8, 4 to 15. Luke 8, verses 4 to 15. And it says, as a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. And when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And so he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. But to the rest, it is in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when, when they have heard, they, they go on their way and are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring, produce fruit. This is the word of the Lord. So the, the beginning of this passage starts out by telling us that, that a large crowd had gathered to find and listen to Jesus. And, and if you're like me, immediately you might be thinking, what a great opportunity for him to teach and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to so many people at, at one time, right? And of course, on, on that end, that the modern pastor's mindset would be to use the opportunity to make sure to preach a clear, simple, and concise salvation, salvation message so that as many people as possible could understand it and hopefully believe in faith and receive the good news of Jesus' gift of grace. Makes sense, right? But Jesus here, he, he does the complete opposite. In front of this large crowd, he simply tells a short and, and let's be honest, cryptic 
parable about a farmer who plants seeds in four types of soils, three soils which, which, which the seed is unable to grow or thrive in, and one soil where it can and does. Then he finishes the story off by saying, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. At this point, we, we, we can surmise that Jesus steps off his proverbial podium and, and, and leaves the crowd, who are all just wondering what had just happened. Again, definitely not the strategy we'd have used, right? At, at this point, I can imagine the crowd, you know, looking around at each other with, with stupefied and confused looks on their faces, like, what, what is he talking about? What does that even mean? I should note, though, that, that it was common in those days for, for rabbis or religious teachers to use metaphorical stories or to make a point, uh, in order to make a point or to encourage self-reflection. So Jesus speaking like this wouldn't be that weird for them. In, in fact, by speaking in parables, Jesus is actually only continuing in the tradition of the prophets, who often used the same methods as well. So if you read prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, Hosea, Ezekiel, and, and so on, you'll see that they were often actually instructed by God to speak his word to, to his people in metaphor. So this isn't anything new that Jesus is doing here. The problem, though, is that if you don't know what the pictures of the metaphor are meant to portray, it's difficult to get the full meaning or to have that understanding. Of course, we have the advantage over the crowd because the next couple of paragraphs describe Jesus explaining the meaning to his disciples. But remember, all the crowd got to hear that day was the parable itself, not the interpretation. They, they don't know what the seed represents or what the soils and other aspects of the parable represent. So yeah, they, they'd be perplexed here. All they got to hear that day was a very basic and obvious lesson in farming. Even the disciples are confused. And, and, and so they come to Jesus and they ask him, um, Lord, you know, what, what's up with that parable? What, what does it even mean? And that's a good question. And what we'll find from Jesus' answer is that, first of all, or, or as Tim Mackey puts it, this parable is a parable meant to point out the purpose of why Jesus uses parables. I'll say that again. This parable is a parable meant to point out the purpose of why Jesus uses parables. Confused? No problem. Listen to how Jesus initially answers them. Verse 10. So he said, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest... It is in parables. Why? So that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now it all makes sense, right? No? Okay, well, I'll try to explain. So I, I was recently watching a clip of, of an interview with Rowan Atkinson, the, the actor who played the iconic Mr. Bean. And he was telling a story about how a guy once came up to him while he was at a store, and this guy said to him, has, has anyone ever told you that, that, that you're basically the spitting image of that Mr. Bean? And so he told this guy that he was actually the actor who played him. But the guy just kind of laughed at him like he was making a joke, like, sure, sure, right? And, and on and on, the conversation went like that, where the more Rowan Atkinson tried to convince this guy that he was truly the actor who played Mr. Bean, the more the guy laughed at him until, until this guy eventually became annoyed that he was making that claim. In other words, the more Mr. Atkinson tried to convince him, the more the guy refused to believe. And this is pretty much what Jesus is saying here, that the word of God, the good news of the kingdom, it will go forth. 
But no matter how adamantly it's presented or how clearly it's explained, there will always be those who won't believe or who will refuse to believe it. In fact, the more they hear, hear it, the harder their hearts become against it. They look, but they can't see. They hear, but they can't understand. And that is actually a direct quote from Isaiah 6, where God is telling Isaiah to prophesy to a rebellious Israel. He gets Isaiah to tell them all to, to continue hearing, but not understanding, and to keep on seeing, but not perceiving, lest they understand and turn and be healed. And, and why, why wouldn't God want that for them? Well, because these Israelites at the time were already refusing to hear and see God's word. They were refusing to keep his commandments. They, they'd hardened their hearts against him and refused to listen and obey for so long, already to the point in which they proved they were never going to. And so God had decided to allow them to continue not hearing or seeing. He, he allowed them, he, he gave them up in their sin. He allowed them to enter into a season of discipline. And it's also no coincidence that Isaiah 6, which again Jesus quoted here, if you read through Isaiah 6, you'll see that it ends with Isaiah proclaiming on behalf of the Lord that a stump of Israel will be preserved and will remain and that this stump will be a holy seed, the Messiah, right? That represents that, that holy seed represents the Messiah who will come to bring regrowth and renewal to God's people. And so in one sense, we can, we can now see as, as Jesus teaches his disciples that, that this parable is explaining the, the way in which the word of God, this, this seed, will be received when it comes, some will hear and receive the good news of the kingdom and follow its king, but many will refuse. And this is also why Jesus speaks in parables, right? To sift through those who have ears to hear and those who don't. Therefore, that's why it is, in a sense, a parable about the purpose of the parables. On that end, though, one of the interesting things about this specific parable, though, is that despite what you might initially think, Jesus doesn't just make up all these metaphorical images about farming on the spot. He didn't look around and, and see a path that he was walking on and see some weeds over here and then some farmers sowing seeds over there and, and then make up a story about it. Instead, Jesus, like he always does, he's drawing from scripture here. And, and on that end, all the clues for understanding this parable are actually laid out in scripture. He's, he's not tricking the crowd or being mean to them by hiding secrets. Really, he's actually revealing the truth quite clearly, but only to those who've been truly paying attention and waiting for him and his righteousness to come. Those with ears to hear, those who were truly seeking the Messiah and awaiting his kingdom, they would have caught this prophetic imagery. From the promised holy seed of renewal in Isaiah 6, which we just discussed, to the commandments and warnings of God made through the prophets like Hosea and Jeremiah, who actually both proclaimed this very thing to God's people. They, they said, in, in, both in their own ways, I'll paraphrase it, they said, seek the Lord and await his righteousness. How, do we, how are they supposed to do that? By breaking up their fallow ground so that they can sow seed in good soil and not among thorns. Sound familiar? So when we look to scriptures like these, 
we find that they not only reveal the metaphors and meaning of Jesus' parable, but we also find that Jesus is actually telling us who he is, the fulfillment of them. That he is the seed, the word of God, sent to restore the kingdom of God and to bring righteousness to the soils that have been made ready to receive him. And so, while Jesus' reply to his disciples seems to initially imply that he meant to hide the truth from the crowd, as theologian Warren Wiersbe writes, the opposite is true. It's actually an invitation for those who truly and humbly want to know the truth and who are ready to see this, his kingdom come. Well, of course, at the same time, it does literally reveal all those who have already hardened their hearts against hearing it as well. Not to mention that if, if Jesus had spoken plainly at this point and clearly told them all who he was as the Son of God and that he was ushering in the kingdom of God, many in the crowd would have just only understood him to the point of, of wanting to kill him for making such statements about himself, which is what eventually happens at the cross when he dies for our sins. So instead, he speaks in parables here in such a way that only those who seek the truth will find it. And those who refuse to hear or see it will just continue not hearing or seeing, for the time being anyway. Of course, he lets his disciples in on the meaning and revelation of the kingdom of God because he knows that they've been specifically chosen to walk in it and that their hearts are being made ready to receive it and proclaim it as his apostles. Besides, they're the only ones who asked for clarity anyway, which Jesus is happy and ready to give them and to all hearts who are, who are willing to receive it. So again, we find that this parable has an, has an overarching message that it, it teaches us Jesus' purpose in using the parables to, to cater to and, and explain the reality of the kingdom of God to those who have ears to hear, since those who don't won't and wouldn't receive the message anyway. And so that's why he continues to teach in parables as, as his ministry goes forward. But on a personal level, it's also a parable which then challenges us as individuals to examine the state of our own hearts as well. In Jewish tradition, uh, th there were supposedly popular object lessons told in the form of stories in which th there would usually be four types of characters who who'd then each react in, in different ways to a specific scenario. And, and the point of those stories was to make the hearer ask themselves, as a form of self-examination, which character am I? Which one do I resemble? And this is also what's happening in Jesus' parable here. It's meant to make the hearer ask themselves, which one am I? Before we get there, though, Jesus gives them some details. He first explains that the seed is the word of God. Again, and as John 1 reminds us, Jesus is the word of God become flesh. Which means that Jesus, who brings with him the good news of the kingdom of God and his salvation, Jesus is that seed that's being sown. And this seed is then sown among the soils, which represents the hearts of men and women who hear the message of Jesus. Hopefully you've noticed as well that the, the sower, who's most likely God the Father in this scenario, as we can, we can see clearly or clearer in Matthew's gospel, the sower doesn't harbor any favoritism on any of the soils. The sower actually throws, throws seeds among them all. And in the same vein, it's the same seed 
given to every type of soil. Which means the only variable and changing factor in this parable is the soil. In other words, the the word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is and has been and will be made available to every single person. No one's without excuse. The, The only variable, then, is whether we're willing or able to receive it. As Warren Wiersbe writes, again, the the fault does not lie with the sower of the seed. The problem is with the soil. And so again, the question we're meant to ask ourselves is what kind of soil am I? It's at this point when Jesus explains what each of the soils represents. So we're going to go, let's go through them. The first soil which the seed lands on is the hard soil. A couple of years ago, I tried planting grass seed in my backyard to fix all the dead spots in the lawn that my dog had killed. So the bag of seed I bought said that you didn't even have to do, do anything to the soil. You just throw the seed down, water it. So that's what I did. I threw the seed down on the, on the hardened soil where the dead grass was. I watered it. But then an hour later, I looked at the window to find that dozens of birds were sitting on, on my lawn and dining on my hard work, eating the seeds. And and in the same way, the hard soil represents hardened hearts who hear the word, but but are unable or just unwilling to let it take root, which immediately then allows the devil to snatch it away and devour it. He steals the seed to kill the soul. And how does he do that? Well, just like he did with Adam and Eve in Genesis in the garden, right? He gets us to question God's word and promises. He deceives with half-truths and gets us to believe in lies. He, he accuses or he makes us feel condemned by God or suspicious of him. And he puffs us up in our pride or our self-righteousness. Anything to take us away from believing in that word. But in the end, it's that hardness of heart which allows the seed to be snatched up by him. And this is why we're warned to guard our hearts and to be watchful because the devil, like a lion, is prowling and seeking someone to devour. This is also why Jesus promises to soften and and protect our hearts when we turn to him. He can make any soil into good soil if we come to him with even an ounce of faith, as, as small as the smallest seed, which he'll remind us in a different parable. All right, so the second soil then, which Jesus describes as the rocky or the shallow soil. According to my research, there are many spots around the area of Israel where one can find a thin layer of soil resting on top of limestone. And it's not uncommon that some plants will grow in this shallow soil. Of course, the roots can't grow deep or get enough moisture, so the plants are easily pulled out and often become withered by the sun. And in the same way, when the seed is implanted in shallow hearts, that person may seem to be healthy and growing for a time because on the surface, they they seem excited and joyful about Jesus. They seem to be blooming, even telling others about Jesus or volunteering at church for a while or whatever. But then when trials or or difficult circumstances come around or, or when they face persecution for the name of Jesus, their faith is tested and shown for what it is, shallow Many people whom Jesus healed and and served ended up being like this. They they were stoked to be healed and and touched by Jesus. They were caught up in in the wonders of his miracles. But yet, when they realized that following after him took sacrifice and that it wasn't always easy, they turned from him. This is the danger of a shallow faith. When it comes down to it, it isn't faith at all. 
As one of my commentaries notes, persecution or trials either deepen the roots of a true Christian or expose the shallowness of the false Christian. And so, so this is a reminder for us that, that simply saying a, a sinner's prayer isn't enough, but rather that, that, that we need to allow Jesus to make his roots deep within us. We need to be molded and led into a place of spiritual maturity and solid faith. So that's the second soil. The third soil Jesus presents to us is the thorny or crowded soil. The two previous soils are, are definitely ones which many of us may reflect but, but in our Western culture, I think this is the soil, this third soil is the one which most of us resemble or struggle with the most, right? This is the soil in which the potential growth of the seed is actually choked out by the weeds. Weeds which then, Jesus tells us, represent the distractions and, and riches and stresses of this world. As theologian Tabitiani Abwile writes, too many Christians care too much for the ways of the world about its power, its wealth, its beauty, its knowledge, its technology, its fashion, its cool. And the world keeps producing things for people to get into. So, in other words, the temptation to consume and become overwhelmed by the busyness and entertainment and lust and politics and anxiety of this world is is greater than ever. There's so much to consume, so much to become distracted by for many lifetimes over. And, and too often, our pursuit of these material or temporary things in our lives chokes out the very word which gives us life. How often do we choose Netflix over the Bible? How often do we choose our, our couch over going to a church prayer meeting? How often do we choose to hoard our wealth instead of giving to the poor? I could go on and on, but you get it, right? The world does a pretty good job of distracting and keeping us from walking in the truth and peace and life of Christ. James 4.4 is pretty clear on the subject. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. sound like harsh words, but it's actually a loving warning. As is Jesus' parable here. And so we've been shown these three soils so far, hard, rocky, and weedy, all reminding us of the three enemies which seek to keep us from receiving and walking in the word and abundant life of Jesus Christ, the devil, the flesh, and the world. They all oppose God's word. They always will. And it's a reminder that to walk in faith and follow after Jesus Christ is often a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And that it's only when we're like the fourth soil then that we can have the means to persevere in this battle. Because it's only in that soil where the seed is able to grow and develop deep roots where we can produce good fruit, right? This good soil, Jesus writes, are like those who hear his word and receive it with honest and good hearts and with patience. That means the good soil doesn't rush the growth of the seed or attempt to speed it along. But like all growing things, the one with the good soil patiently allows the seed to grow and mature and bear good fruit in its time. All the while, though, in ensuring that it's being watered and given the right nutrients. 
This means that a healthy soil, which which is bearing fruit from, from the implanted seed, is a follower of Christ who's consistently steeped in the word of God and in prayer and in edifying community with other believers. It's a disciple who is living in obedience to that word of God, who proves their faith by persevering and even maturing through trials or persecutions that might come their way. The good soil is the one who hears the word of God and believes it. The good soil is the one who has ears to hear. That is, they not only hear it, but they do it. And so again, out of these four soils, if we take a look at ourselves and examine ourselves, which one do you resemble the most? The bottom line here is that that Jesus is reminding us in this parable that to follow him is to be all in. We can't be a mixture of good soil and other soils. We can't follow him and yet simultaneously sit on the stands, so to speak. To follow Jesus is is to receive his word in full, and and it's to eventually mature into disciples who live it out with every aspect of our lives. But the good news is, is is that no matter what soil you currently portray, we're also reminded repeatedly in Scripture that any heart can be changed and transformed. And in other words, any soil can be cultivated and worked into good soil. And in the same vein, no one can become good soil without him and without his spirit working in us. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 reminds us and promises that the Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul and so you may live. Jesus came to fulfill this promise, to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. He came to give us new hearts, changed hearts that can then be made into good soil, ready and willing and eager to receive the word of God and to live in it and by it, ready to live as citizens of the kingdom of God in the presence and power of God. And this is why Jesus went to the cross for us. In paying the punishment for our sin at the point of death on the cross, he made a way for us to be forgiven, to know the love of God, and to have that new spirit-filled life. He made a way for us to have humble hearts that hunger and thirst for righteousness, ears that are ready to hear the word with faith, and eyes that are able to see and know him as our Lord and Savior. And so no matter what soil you are today, we're all invited and encouraged to have ears to hear and to listen, to come to him daily with with honest and repentant hearts, to humbly receive his grace, to be changed and transformed, to be given new life, to be filled with his spirit and to be matured by his word into those who bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. For as it says in 1 Peter 1.23, when you turn to Jesus and believe in him by faith, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God.